couple of weeks ago, I was getting ready to come here and I was going to start a series on the tabernacle. And uh, I think there's lots of, to learn from the tabernacle in Exodus, but uh, I felt uh, laying on my heart the desire to come here. Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 25. I mean, this is something that we all struggle with and sermons meant a lot to me and I hope it will to you as well. Romans 7 verses uh, 22 through 25. This is the word of God. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And may God bless his words to our hearts today. The world's greatest war. Well, beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul made clear that for the justified, they are to live victoriously. And when you hear victory, it implies something. There is a competition or there is a war. It implies a fight. And you can't be victorious if you're not fighting something. If there's not a war. I don't know a lot about wars. I don't know how to fight them. Not trained that way. I don't know the solution to the war in Ukraine. and Between Ukraine and Russia or between... The Palestinians and the Israelis or the Houthis in Yemen against the Saudi Arabian army or Venezuela and Guyana, my home country. There are wars all over. And we don't always know the details because there are always hidden agendas. Somebody's manipulating somebody, somebody's controlling others, and it can be very difficult to know. But there is one war, and that's what we are seeing here in the scriptures, one war that we all know about, or should know about. This is what you will hear about today. It's the war that every Christian struggles with to fight. And I want you to hear about this war today. The three headings, the Apostle Paul's consternation, the Apostle Paul's confession, and then the Apostle Paul's confidence. And our goals are that even though you know your weakness in succumbing to sin, that you will make it your duty to, one, acknowledge your sin, second, that you will confess your sin, knowing that your Savior loves you and will forgive you, and then you will receive his strengthening in order to continue this fight to build his kingdom. First, let's consider the Apostle Paul's consternation with this war that was taking place. The Apostle Paul begins in verse 22 by saying he delighted in the law of God. 
He delighted in God's law in his renewed heart, in his inward man. That's that last uh, phrase in verse 22. In his regenerated heart. He knew in his heart that he was saved. And he knew God's law was good. And because he knew God's law was good, he could rejoice. He knew God's law was more, more than good. That it was nourishing for the soul. And obeying God's law, there are great blessings and joy. The psalmist said so. Sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. That is the law of God. And you know, when you have God's law and everything's working together, what a blessing it is. There are always blessings. But he also delighted in God's law because he knew God's law brought glory to him. When you live obediently before God, he is pleased because others see and they praise him. But God's law is also good for your neighbor. When, you have, when you're living in peace, when the society is living in peace, when everyone obeys the laws, when they drive, that's a good thing. And it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul delights. You don't want a society where there's anarchy. Where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. So the law was good. The law is good. The law brought blessings. The law brought praise to Almighty God. And yet the Apostle Paul says, I have this struggle. I have this battle. This war that sometimes, bring me, that sometimes brought him into bondage. And this word bondage is a military word. He, interestingly that he used this because that's the Christian life. It's a battle. Those who tell you become a Christian life goes smoothly are lying to you. There is that battle that continues. And sometimes he was taken captive. Even as a Christian. And this bondage implies a war in which you are taken captive by the sword. His struggle, his war was with sin. And sin sometimes captured him. He knew God's law. He knew his mind had been renewed. He knew all the benefits of keeping God's law. Yet he chose of his own free will to sin against God. And by the way, this was a war. This was not an occasional battle. This is something that comes up every single day. Augustine called it the struggle, the Christian struggle. In Romans 7.14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. That's he said this a few verses before. Sold under sin. The devil wanted to capture him and make him sin and to be cursed and sent to hell. But the Spirit of God wanted him to submit to God's law and be blessed and then taken to heaven. But the Apostle Paul couldn't understand why he would sin, knowing all that he had in Christ. It's like you sort of something see, a child steals and you think, you've got everything, why would you do this? And he said, what were you thinking? And they don't know why they did it. And to the Apostle Paul, it was a mystery. Look how many times he said so in the preceding verses. Romans 7, 14. He says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. 
Then verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Then verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. So three times he repeats his frustration with himself that even though he knew better and he knew do, doing good was good for everyone, for himself, for his neighbor, for the glory of God, yet he didn't do it. You can get a sense of his frustration with his redeemed soul. How could the save act like that? This mystery is what brought him this consternation. He just couldn't get it. Let me give you a few lessons now. First of all, people who say they don't sin or they aren't struggling with sin are lying. They're not ignorant. They know in their heart they sin. Everyone knows it. The most perfect Christian struggles with sin. We often describe Apostle Paul, if not one of, if not the greatest Christian in the history of the world. And that's his language. And to make sure you weren't unsure of what he said, he repeated it and repeated it. First John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. James 4, 1 says, where do wars and fights come from among you? And he's addressing Christians. He says, do not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. There's that battle. So that's the reality. We all struggle. You struggle. Your neighbors struggle. Your wife struggles. Your husband struggles. Keep that in mind and how you respond. Second, those who teach that Christians don't struggle with sin, they cause confusion and hurt among Christians. They cause people to doubt their salvation because they know they struggle with sin. They know there's a sin that eats away at their soul. And there's not a single person that doesn't have one particular area where they struggle. And when you're told, oh, we, I don't struggle with sin, that makes that person feel terrible. As if they're not believers. There are churches that actually teach Christian perfectionism that you can become perfect. But that's a false doctrine. No one will ever be perfect in this life. Third, this also implies that you must be patient with others when they sin, when they struggle with sin. You see, they know it. Any true Christian knows what sin is. That's why we go over the law every week. You read God's word to see the explication of that law. And they know their struggle. And because you know you struggle, that you have sin in your heart, you should be patient with others who struggle with sin this way. Be patient with them. Four, learn to delight in God's law. Yes, we are... We have this consternation when we struggle with sin. But we go to God's law. We go to God's word. 
They are to be desired more than the finest gold and the finest foods. And, and what do you do if you want to be satisfied? You fill yourself with what is good. The delightful foods that you enjoy, that's what you take when you're hungry and you are immensely satisfied. And similarly, you eat of God's word. You let it fill your heart so you're assured of his love and his care for you. Just like someone who is loved by his spouse or her spouse there that person is less likely to cheat because they're regularly assured and shown love so it is when you're regularly assured of God's love and you've seen God's love displayed in his word and in his sacrament then you are less likely to sin against him Read God's word, believe God's word, meditate on God's word, obey God's word. Psalm 1, 2 says, but his delight is in the law of God. Whose delight? That righteous man. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Or Psalm 119, verse 77. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live. For your delight is, for your law is my delight. Filling yourself with the word of God. And I'm not just talking about ten commandments. But the law of God is the word of God. So delight in God's goodness. And enjoy a good life. Because it brings blessings. God's law will help to keep order. God's law will help his kingdom to spread. God's law will bring glory to the Savior. In other words, God's law will save you from consternation... And it's the only thing that will save you. So what did the Apostle Paul do next? He had this consternation. Just couldn't get why he would do this. He then made a confession. Our second point. Oh wretched man that I am. What a confession. The man who was writing so many books in the Bible man who was chosen by God, the man to whom Jesus spoke directly. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. So in deep consternation, even though he was renewed in the inner man, he was still overcome with sin from time to time. And he cried out from the depths of his soul. Look at the details of this cry, of his confession before God. He confessed that he was wretched. This word is a little bit unique. The English word limits the intention. It signifies one who is tired of the toils of war. It's like saying this is going on forever. Think of the long wars that have been going on. You think when will this end? He was frustrated with himself. He felt like he was losing. So he confessed he was wretched. And that's one of the most famous lines of songs ever written. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that save a wretch like I am. Second, he implied that there was none who could deliver him. No human being. He couldn't deliver himself and no man could do it. No man could save someone who is dead. And that's the way he felt. So he also cried out for his deliverance, thirdly, from the overwhelming pressure of sin. 
And again, this is the language of soldier who's calling out for another soldier to rescue him from death. It's a cry of anguish, a cry of desperation. This is what the psalmist cried when he felt the frustration in Psalm 55 verse 6. He said, so I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. So many songs have been written about this one. Because that's the anguish of the soul that has been taken up by troubles and worries and sicknesses. And you plead that you will be able to fly away from this body of death. That was his cry. Now, this question, and he, when he cried this, was not a hopeless cry in a way. It was a, it's kind of a teaching cry. He knew the answer to this. In fact, in 2 Timothy 1.12, he said that famous verse, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him till that day. So he knew in whom he believed. But it's when sin sort of overwhelmed him that he made this cry. And he wanted you to learn from this. He wanted the Roman Christians to learn. He wants those in Bowmanville to learn about this today. That the Lord is able to keep you. What can we learn here? First of all, if man doesn't see this internal war, this struggle, this battle with sin, or if he denies that it is real, he will have no basis to cry to God for help. If you don't see you've got a problem... You will never cry for help. And this is why he goes into the details to show the struggle in the Christian soul. Admitting it and not having this, this facade, this fake thing. We're Christians so we don't have these problems. I don't struggle with an argument with my wife. Or I don't struggle with pornography. Or I don't struggle with this or that or the other. But we do. And that's the challenge before them to say look you need to cry out for help Christians see their sin and they cry out for help this is why you cry out to God for deliverance so pray for victory over the struggle be honest your struggle with sins are it is important to acknowledge that so you will plead for forgiveness second Man's inability is to do what God says. It's consistent with man's responsibility. It does not exclude it. And you say, what does that mean? Well, God gave you something to do that you can't do now. But it wasn't God's fault. Or it isn't God's fault that you can't do what he has asked you to do. Why? Because he gave you the ability in the first Adam. He lost that ability and he passed on that weakness to you. Now here's where this becomes a problem. When people want to adjust God's law, like our Muslim friends, they would say, uh, God will never ask you to do something that you can't do. Well, Allah doesn't, but Yahweh does. He says you must live before him. You must resist sin. You must live perfectly. It's not God's fault that you lost that ability in your father. Because he gave that ability for Adam to keep all of God's law. God's not unfair there. Third lesson. This then means you must groan for your sins. 
seeing how much your sin hurt your sins hurt you, hurt your neighbor, and most of all, hurt your heavenly Father. Ask the Holy Spirit to groan for you. The Bible talks about that in the next chapter. The Holy Spirit pleading and groaning for the children of God. So the Apostle Paul had this frustration, this consternation. And then he confessed the problems of his life, pointing to the Savior. But it didn't end there. He had to have that confidence in the one in whom he believed. So consternation for sure, confession of his sins... And then he showed where he had his confidence. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a weird way to break the sentence. or Because we needed verses, we broke this. But verse 25 answers the question. He came to his senses and he recognized that all his burdens were put on Christ when Christ obeyed and suffered for him. And then Christ's righteousness and holiness were put on him or put to his account. You notice he did not say, well, I got to try to be good because I've done bad. I will do some good so my good will outweigh my bad. That's the world's religions. Not, his good works were not good enough. Or he didn't say, like our Western society, well, do the best you can. Be moral. You'll get victory over your troubles by being moral. Well, they don't take away sins. So whether you're trying to do good or whether you're trying to be moral, as our Western society uh, promotes, your sins, you're still in your sins. He could only cry to the one who had the power to free him, who obeyed and suffered for him. Now the recognition of that sin and that all his burdens were put upon Christ caused the Apostle Paul then to not just look to Christ but to thank God for the work of Christ for him. He repeats this in 1 Corinthians 15. That's where he talked about the wonder and glories of the resurrection. You are resurrected because Jesus was resurrected and his words were these. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't in him. It wasn't in his good works. It was in Jesus Christ. And then Paul does something very strange. After saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ, I'm delivered. Look at the, if you have your Bibles open to the second part. He then, so then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. It's almost like he came back to the same place where he started and you think, why is that? And this is where it's really important to get. He's implying here that you're going to always be doing battle. You're always going to be involved in this great war, the greatest war in your life. Even when he came to his senses, repented, got himself right with God, he was just preparing for the next battle. On one, on one hand, he, he knows he loves the Lord and he wants to keep God's law and he knows the blessings of keeping the law. But then he knew what's going to happen tomorrow. He's going to be tempted again. And that's what he's preparing. He's preparing the Christians there for. What lessons can we learn? First of all, although you are plagued with sin... Your sin will never win over you, nor will they bring condemnation. 
there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You believe in me, your condemnation is gone. You already have eternal life. You see, Jesus took that condemnation on the tree of life. And it's called a tree of life because it was described in the scriptures prophetically as the green tree, the living tree on which Jesus would be crucified. Symbolic of the restoration of the tree of life that was taken away from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Christ's righteousness then would be credited to your account and his death, his sacrificial death, would be credited to your account. In doing this, Jesus would block the fiery darts of the devil to protect you as the devil tries to destroy you. Romans 8.1 says it very beautifully, the words that come next. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not some, not a tiny bit. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Second, while every believer will have victory over sin, you must not expect total victory over sin in this life. Only in heaven will you be totally free. Why is that important? Because if you think that you're so upset with yourself that you struggle with sin in this life, it will only depress you and destroy you. Worry will take over your life when you look in the mirror and see sin. Now, it's not saying you'll be satisfied with sin. But know you're going to sin. And you have to wait for heaven for it to all go away. But if you are overwhelmed with sin, you feel bad about how you're living. You won't care for your children. You won't love your wife. You won't love your husband. You wouldn't be attentive in church because you're overwhelmed by sin. That's why you should not expect it. Christian perfectionism is a doctrine from Satan. And he has doctrines too that he promotes. Because it's a very effective way of fighting. Third, rejoice in this promised and assured victory over sin promised by Christ and assured by his Holy Spirit. You can't secure this victory by yourself. No one can do it for you but Jesus. And then third, reject those who believe that they must be despondent or appear to be despondent as a form of piety. You know, that's what Martin Luther did when he would beat himself to death. He would go across and beg for forgiveness from the priest in charge and by the time he walked across he would start walking back again because he felt so overwhelmed by sin and he beat himself physically. You know what the problem with that is? He wouldn't have time for anything else. It's when he gave that up and realized he's going to struggle with sin and he was able to go out and bring reformation to the church and marry, have a family. Be effective for the kingdom. Your sins were born by Christ. You don't need the guilt of your sins to carry around like a great weight on you. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, smile. Your sins 
gone. And we used to sing as kids, you ask me why I'm happy, well, let me tell you why. It's because my sins are gone. Let's conclude. Yahweh's children will feel consternation, even frustration with sins, with themselves. And, and when they do that, they will bring shame to themselves, to the bride of Christ, and to Christ himself. So the child of God will confess his sins, even with a painful cry, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God, Jesus Christ. That's where the reflection must go. He must have confidence in the one who earned the victory in this great war in which he is involved in. His chains, in fact, were not really chains at all. At least they were not strong chains. That the Lord was able to break them and set them free. And whom the Lord sets free, they are free indeed. So, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, instead, consider a few things. Think how wonderful it is that though you have this battle, this raging battle, this battle that neither you nor any man can win by himself, you have your heavenly father who guarantees you the victory. Isn't it good when you know you're going to win? It takes away so much pressure, doesn't it? And this victory was totally won by Jesus. So live like those who are no longer enslaved. Sing with passion. Love God. Love your neighbor. Go about the work that God has called you to do. Because that's what love is. It's not the feeling on the inside. It may or may not be there. Love is fulfilling of the law of God. So fulfill your duties. Yes, you struggle with sin. Fulfill your duties to your husband. Yes, you struggle with sin. Fulfill your duties to your wife. Children to your parents, friends to each other. Fulfill your duties in the church. Elders, fulfill your duties. Deacons, you know, we stand in the pulpit often and you have no idea the struggle sometimes we go through because we struggle with our own sins. We all do. But we have a duty to fulfill and we must stand up and proclaim the word of God and so you. You deal with your sin and you fulfill your responsibility. Don't let the devil make you feel so ashamed when you sin that you give up your love for God and your love for your neighbor. And while you will win in this great war, let's remember there are many people in this uh, world who don't have Jesus. And they will go to hell trapped unless you work to rescue them. You know, this is something to commit to. Commit to free others who are still trapped in sin. That's a commitment you should make before the Lord, even in your weakness. And finally, if you're not a Christian, all I can tell you is that you are still in your chains and you will be taken to hell bound. But if you want those chains lifted, they can be for free, as God will count Christ's punishment as yours. He will take your penalty put it on Jesus, and then adopt you as his child. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your words. And the reminder sometimes how we struggle with our own 
our own selves as we struggle with sin. We thank you that we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But more than that, Father, we pray that we will not allow our sins to crush us. The guilt and shame been borne by Jesus. Lord, if we let that sin overwhelm us, how bad it will be. But then we will not be able to see clearly to fulfill our other responsibilities. So strengthen us, Heavenly Father. Strengthen us to this end. We ask these things in Jesus' name.